Welcome to the Innovation Drivers Podcast, where Canada's top technology leaders discuss ideas, successes, and challenges that are creating a better future. Brought to you by the CIO Association of Canada, in partnership with the Business Leadership Podcast Series. Hey there, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Innovation Drivers Podcast. I am Edwin Frondozo, and on this episode, Hums and I sit down with Dave Penny, the CTO at Blue Cat. We were excited to have him join us on the show as he has been delivering innovation throughout his career in numerous technology companies, including Ethica, Algorithmics, Electronics Workbench, Cirix, and IBM Risk Analytics. In this episode, we talk about how to measure success in innovation, the challenge on acquiring talented engineers, how to make an enterprise act like a startup, and much more. So with that, let's get to the conversation. Dave, welcome to the Innovation Drivers Podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank welcome you, Dave. Much. Thank welcome. You Great much. to have you here. Great. Um, I mean, just to, just to kick it off and um, get started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, Dave, and Hums, obviously, feel free to to jump in, but uh, Dave, what does innovation mean to you? Um, understanding that you've led a number of technology companies, whether they were global yeah. or, or local, as they as they've grown. Yeah, the software side of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, my first one was uh, to very close to your algo algorithmics. Uh, that was a, a big Canadian success story. Right. We uh, did uh, risk management software for for giant banks. And you know, it's fun when you're doing innovation you don't really realize that you're doing innovation to the same extent that you might after you've finished innovating why is that because you're just doing your job you're just working you're just working on interesting things you know it's uh it's uh sometimes a team comes together and the team is working well but if the business is growing then there's crazy business pressures on you the whole time and it looks like there's more troubles than there's innovation actually uh, and then you look back on it and you say, wow, we, we created something. That was good. And we created, in case of Algo, billions and billions of dollars of revenue, literally out of that product over, over the course of uh, when it was founded around 85 or something like that. So wow, like a lot of, a lot of uh, innovation happened. And you don't necessarily realize that you're innovating you're, while you're innovating. You're just doing the job that's fun. And it's like you, right, Hamza? Like you... I mean, maybe Hamza thinks innovation because this is, this is our pet project, talking about innovation. But when, when you're in the role, yeah. are you always constantly thinking of innovation or ensuring that something's moving forward, whether it's with people? Focus? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think, I'm, I think I'm, I, I've been obsessed over innovation my whole life uh, <laughs> and just trying to figure out how things can be done better. And, you know, I, it's sort of like the way I try to look at the world um, and find problems to or find solutions to problems that exist out there um but uh dave i have a question for you when at what point do you start measuring innovation right because you talked about culture and pressures and things like that so you have a great idea and you have a vision at what point do you start to actually put the measurements because then that stresses people out right on both sides yeah um (laughs) when do you start to do that the idea conception to when you actually start measuring it's not directly measurable i think but because uh, uh, you know some really good ideas just have no market traction at all so i think you measure it by success you know there's that uh there's a, a jeffrey moore's 
uh, curve, technology adoption life cycle right. curve. So yeah. if you can pick up some, some innovators who are excited by your stuff, and it's a real market proof point. And then if you can jump over into early adopters who you know, really see some advantage to that technology. So if you can start seeing that ramp when you're in the technology business, then you know you're on the right track. And kind of your initial ideas are definitely going to be morphed. They call it agile marketing nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's the idea that you know, your initial idea probably will not be what makes you successful at the end of the day. Your market is going to push you and pull you and shove you in this direction and that direction. It can awfully feel very chaotic, like you're just being bounced around. Uh, but you're actually doing innovation during that time. There's, um, there's a term that I've heard over the last, uh, probably last year and a half, called uh, uh, instead of uh, return on investment ROI, which everybody knows about, it's return on experience ROE. And uh, I've heard it spoken more about uh, mm. by different people. And it's, it's a little bit bold, right? Because when you sit in a corporate structure of some kind and you say, you know, there, there's not a direct ROI, but there's this return on experience. We all know that for the products and services that we all use every day, the ones that are good, you actually use them. And those products make money and they have critical mass. Is that, is that something that you've encountered or, or yeah, in a different sure. way kind of explored that theory? Yeah, no, I, uh, when you say it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I mean, you find if you're in a market and you're actively in a market and you're engaging with people in that market, you find the things that people need. If you're just sitting alone in your basement and right. you say, I got to think up the next great idea, you're not going to find anything that's, yeah. you know, it's highly unlikely. But when you're engaged in a market, uh, one of the companies that uh, we, we recently sold uh, called Ethica, the founders uh, were in the payments industry, uh, a little bit off to the side of it. And in a random discussion with a random person in market, they said, you know, there's this little problem here. And they ran with that. They thought, hey, our tech can be adapted to actually, you know, work with that idea and solve that problem. And that was the entire success of the company. It was based on this, like, small little idea that came up in a trade show, a conversation between a couple of guys. And I I love those concepts where people pay attention to that, right? Because it goes back to kind of being, you don't have to be obsessed with innovation, but you have to have an eye out for innovation, right? Your idea is not always the best idea. It might be just twisting your idea from A to B that really makes it sing. Being open to take that and being kind of like a humble entrepreneur, right? Uh, whether well, you're in a company or whether you're a startup person. Yeah, well, there's nothing to humble you like <laughs> imminently going bankrupt. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that encourages some rapid pivoting, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, I know, Dave, in the past, you, you, you and I have been on, on, the, on the other podcast, the Business Leaders Podcast, and, and we talked about um, the relationship between the CTO and the CEO or the founder. Um, and being a show for the CIO Association of Canada. Can you, I'd love to dive into that actually, because it was really interesting, and I know we just touched upon it Mm -hmm. uh, in the past, in terms of that relationship, and you, and you talking about um, pivoting, and the, the, co- the founders or the CEOs like always having new ideas. Can, yeah. uh, can, you, can you share some of, some of your thoughts on that, and managing that? Yeah, no, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting alliance. It brings two really different personality types together, the CEO, the founder CEO, as opposed to the professional CEO, which mm-hmm. is a little bit different, but the right. founder CEO is very entrepreneurial. Uh, they have to be a little crazy in the good sense, and by crazy, I mean they have to be pursuing this idea. And where everyone else sees the obstacles, they don't see obstacles. They just see opportunities there. And 
you know, a rational kind of engineer would say, well, if you want to build what you're talking about, it's going to take 10 years and, you know, a hundred people over that time. And uh, you have no chance. The other competitors are way bigger than you. You have zero chance of doing that. We, that was the, the story of algorithmics, actually. We, uh, uh, Ron Dembo, the founder there, had this idea to use linear programming to figure out the optimal mix of securities to best hedge a portfolio. So that was his idea. Uh, he was in operations research. Didn't know much about finance yeah. at all. Like zero mm -hmm. about finance. So he said, well, let's, let's build a system that can value every kind of financial instrument mm -hmm. in the universe mm -hmm. and can optimally hedge these things. And in the, and in the end, you know, when we sold it, we could do one bond. That was all we could do. And if you'd asked anyone who's an expert in the field, they'd say, well, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. That's impossible to cover that breadth of financial instruments that, that it can't be done. Like, just give up now. You're never going to beat the big guys. But all the big guys were really siloed. There were stock trading systems and bond trading systems and stock option trading systems. They're all super siloed, and none of them would, would extend for years and years into that kind of, kind of thing. So, so it, was, it was impossible. And, uh, and fortunately, we were all really naive. And so we said, well, we'll just start building it anyways. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, what, what really made the app company take off was a pivot. Instead of this, this optimizing thing, never worked out. It wasn't, nobody wanted that idea, really. It turned out there were some regulations that got passed uh, that required software that was exactly like ours. Hmm. And then the company absolutely took off. We pivoted Timing. to those regulations wow. and just took off uh, on that basis. Yeah. Um, one, thing, one thing we were talking about before, before we pressed uh, record here is some of the challenges now. And, you know, thinking about us as Canadian tech leaders, you know, acquiring talent, keeping talent, working with founders, VCs. What do you, I mean, I'll post this to both of you. Dave Humble, like, what are the biggest challenges now as you try to grow and scale these tech organizations? Hmm. You know, software development talent, especially. Uh, you know, you're a kid coming out of school. You can make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You can, in some cases, you're making six digits, like right, right out of an undergraduate degree, uh, and more if you go to one of the big Silicon Valley startup, uh, Silicon Valley companies, obviously. Uh, so they don't need to work for sweat equity and and they can just go out and just get a job and so it's very difficult I think for the entrepreneur to find people who are going to be willing to work you know and take a much less of a salary mm -hmm. and I don't think that's happening I don't see that happening very much I see guys who need, who want, you know, you'd want to live in Toronto. You need some income to live in Toronto, yeah. for instance. Oh my gosh. And they want to have an apartment, live by themselves. So they can't work for just sweat equity. They don't want to do that. And so the entrepreneur has to raise money. And the VC community in Canada, and hopefully Hamza, you're changing that, is a little bit... Uh, uh, you know, is a little bit risk averse compared to some some VCs, I think, outside of the country. Right. And uh, and if they put in money, and if the employees of the company aren't you know working for peanuts, then they're going to want a really big return on that. Uh, yeah. They, they want to take a really big part of the piece of the company, and so it's 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 very awkward. You get this difficulty with the, the lack of the VCs to really take risk and accept a lower reward for that versus the people you need to work on this stuff, the software dev pros who want 
you know, 90, 100 grand a year or something like that to, to do the work. So, so, I mean, with that challenge and, and maybe it may not be in the situation you are in now, Dave, like what can the tech leaders who are running these very nimble or small teams with the pressures of growth and development, like, like how are they adjusting now? Like what, what are you telling people that you're mentoring? Mm-hmm. You know, I, like you're not telling them to go go back to develop themselves. Like I mean, maybe you might. Nah, I'm just kidding, but yeah, like like it's a big challenge, right? Especially here in Canada. Yeah. Well, you know, one one thing that's coming up is more lifestyle. So virtual companies where you're working from home, uh, and uh, and you've assembled a completely virtual team uh, is is a lifestyle thing that is actually really attractive to a lot of uh, people. And I think, and, and really good, it obviously saves money when you're starting up. And the technology is now such that, you know, you can interact, you know, completely with video calls and, and, and on Slack and, uh, and, you know, whatever, sharing your, your cloud software for, for, for Git, for instance, for your source code control or for your build systems, you know, building apps that are in the cloud. So, you know, there's no need to be physically co-located. And there's an interesting effect if you have, say, a team of four. And if three of them are physically co-located and one isn't, that's awkward. That's awkward for the one because everyone's turning around and talking to each other. But if all four of them are remote, then the only way they interact is 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 electronically. And then no one is cut out of that at that point. So I think you either go like fully remote uh, like that or fully in the office. And there's nothing that beats an in the office, you know, interaction amongst the, those four team members that you can really kind of yeah. throw ideas off one another. But on the other hand, I think maybe that's the, the, the nimble startup can maybe go to a more virtual kind of culture to get going anyways and can therefore attract people who are attracted to that lifestyle as well. It's such, uh, it's such an important point that you just made, um, just even around the culture of having kind of everybody in on one system or, or everybody you know, physically in a location. Um, we often, you know, the part of the reason we started this podcast was to, was to think about what, what's happening in Canada at a whole in terms of innovation and technology. And, you know, our government's been backing more innovation over the last several years, um, public sector, private sector, the startups that are here, the university systems that, that are here, the abundance of talent that we're so blessed to have in Canada and in Toronto specifically, um, but many other parts of Canada as well. And then how do you get that whole mindset and the ecosystem more into companies? And a lot of people that are listening to this podcast would be, you know, maybe CTOs or heads of technology or innovation or digital, uh, what have you, at, uh, at various corporations. What tips might you have for those uh, groups of people who are up against a corporate system and, uh, you know, standard ways of doing things? to do what you said previously, which was, you know, you hire four developers, you put them on a project, everybody's remote, you never see them, you connect them to a beautiful goal and they just go do it. That's pretty, that can be pretty frightening for an organization still to do, even though I think that there's opportunities to kind of learn from the startup environment. How do you make enterprises sort of act more like startups, but respectfully to the enterprise? Yeah. Uh, You know, it comes into opposition a little bit with kind of the agile concept of you know the two-week sprint and we're not telling you what you're going to get three months from now we're just going to sprint two weeks at a time and you'll be able to see the progress and i think that's very suitable for some sorts of things you know where that's a great progress report hey you guys are making progress that's fantastic but you get to be a bigger corporation that just doesn't fly anymore 
You've got, say, if you're doing uh, B2B type stuff, you've got customers who want specific things. You've had to make commitments. You know, you'll have this feature within three months. Or you've got a board of directors. They want to know what's happening. They, they're asking you for what are your timelines. Mm-hmm. And uh, they say, oh, don't tell us exactly. Just tell us approximately. So you tell them approximately and then you miss it. <laughs> and that's not a good situation either. So how do you kind of mix that with the really agile culture? And I think what we're missing from a technical management point of view is a layer on top of agile, whereby you can, in a very agile fashion, make predictions on when, on what you're building and when it's going to be built and very quickly, iteratively uh, adjust those predictions as you go to give kind of early warning of, mm-hmm. of slips and, and be able to adapt to business circumstances. So, so I think you need one extra layer on top of agile to make people more comfortable that, oh yeah, we, these guys know what they're doing. They're aiming for this. I understand what that is. And I can see the progress towards that thing, uh, you know, in terms of kind of a burn down to the end of, say, a six-month yeah. planning horizon, something like that. One, one of the other things that, that uh, you know, I've heard from others as well as use myself um, around agile development and, and just iterative thinking of how we solve something is actually to bring everybody in on it. And so oftentimes I think technology organizations go, you know what, we, we understand the problem business. Um, we're get, we'll see you in six months. Whereas from an agile perspective, the more you can involve those stakeholders, you know, the, the more success you can have because people see, to your point, Dave, the, the buildup of an asset that they can see yeah. will solve the problem, even though it's not solving the full problem today. And they have a lot more patience towards it. Have you seen similar... Um, similar oh. experiences on your side. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you need to be able to demonstrate on a regular basis what you're doing. But I've also seen people's, you know, the demos were kind of hacked together, crappy prototypes yep. that could never really be ready for production. And it's really hard for some of the people more on the business side to see the difference. Mm-hmm. They're like really impressed by a flashy user interface. Say, wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, let's deploy it out to, you know, a million people and boom, you know, it's nice. There's no way it can be deployed like that. So there's a little bit of stuff under the covers as well that can't be demonstrated in the same way with the same kind of immediacy. So you you need to mix those things together. That's great advice. Um, Just to change it up, Dave, I'd love to get your thoughts or your feelings on, on speed to market versus, I guess, incurring tech debt. And, and some of the long term yeah, good, good segue on that one because that's exactly yeah yeah you know it's uh, it, it's uh, if you build something perfect first of all you don't know what perfect is <laughs> uh, even at the technology level the tech keeps changing you could you could spend m- months you know if your last project you started was two years ago now you're starting a new one the technology landscape has changed completely. Go from scratch and select your next set of tools and languages and, and, and frameworks and things like that. Oh my gosh, select the perfect one, then select the perfect architecture, and then uh, you'll never get anything done. You'll be bankrupt well before anything gets out the door. Uh, or you'll be spending so much of your big company's money that they're just going to cancel the project because they don't see anything. So, so you, you can't be too perfect. Yeah. Uh, you have to... Uh, iterate quickly, build in small increments, kind of get get stuff out the door. And it's not just internal demonstrations. It's so important to ship things. Because like I say, you can pull people's wool over the eyes in a little demo, 
But if you ship stuff to customers, that's a lot harder to do. It better be solid because you have to ship it. You have to operate it. Uh, you're getting complaints from the customer if it's not working. So there's just this whole discipline associated with shipping things out the door and making it work for customers. Uh, that's, that's absolutely critical to that. So that imposes a certain lower bound on the amount of tech debt that can be incurred, basically. Yeah. And, uh, and, but on the other hand, that thing you put out might not be suitable to sustain like a very rapid growth into a bigger market or be able to do more than what was envisaged. So you need to kind of keep an eye on that. And periodically you have to go back and refactor and sometimes throw out big bits of it and redo big bits of it. I think that's business as usual. If you try to make it perfect the first time, you'd, you'd never get to market yeah. in time, and you'd have no feedback on what you're doing. On the other hand, if you go too fast, then the feedback you're getting is, is it always breaks. So that's not good either. <laughs> so you got to strike that balance between the two. And you will be incurring technical debt. There's no question about it. Right. And that's the question of how do, you, how do you deal with it? How do you prioritize it? It's, uh, that's kind of the business we're in, is trading off technical debt against, uh, against uh, futures. I want to I want to um, maybe jump in with a with a concept around you know to really drive innovation, especially as a, a CTO um, or somebody leading the the technology or innovation charges that you have to put yourself on the line. So all of what you just said uh, requires a leader to sort of stand up and say, uh, we need to do it this way, or we need to pivot, or we need. How much do you think that that's true? Is to you know to really drive innovation. You got to put yourself on the line. You got to make some some big recommendations or some big decisions, or you got to take some big risks. Um, you know, I, I think in in some of the experience and some of the people that I've spoken to, that seems to be a consistent theme that those people that really drive it uh, aren't afraid to kind of put themselves out there to try to get to the best um, solution, even if it involves some debate or discussion. Yeah. Uh, what have you seen on your side? Yeah, no, just as you were saying that, my, my heart started beating faster, realizing all the risks I'm currently taking. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. And you, ha you can't think about the amount of risk you're taking too much. You know that you need to make a decision. So you have to go make a decision. And then you have to take it in this direction. You won't be 100% sure. So you're relying on whatever facts you can get. You're relying on talking to a lot of people and absorbing, really listening to what they have to say. And once you've got as much talk, as much discussion, as much facts as you're going to get in a reasonable amount of time, then your gut instinct has to kick in. And you have to say, I think, I think we should do this. Mm. We should go in this direction. And then you have to do that, basically. And you have to have enough confidence from your staff that they're willing to do that as well going even if they don't necessarily 100 percent agree it's like yeah okay that sounds good and i would I, you know I, I would add on top of that is that the recommendations based on the fact that technology is driving every business in the world now aren't just technology recommendations sometimes they're business recommendations so um you know that, that that's great to hear the consistent theme i think our, our listeners uh um, that, that's that's probably a very important takeaway for people to if, if you're sitting on the fence on something don't you know pick a side yeah. Right. If you really want to drive it. Oh, it's it, and it drives the staff crazy if you're not deciding. If you just go into endless discussions, into the same meeting seemingly over and over and over again and never come out with any kind of concrete direction, it drives your staff nuts as well. So you, you got to, that's, that's your responsibility as the techn technology leader is to drive that. And, you know, with, with me, we build products for 
to be consumed by companies. So we, we the current company I, I'm with, Blue Cat, uh, we build software for, for DNS, for enterprise DNS, um, IP address management, DNS, DHCP. So we have to make calls about where the market is headed as well. So not only how do we build things, but also where the market is headed. And you have to be courageous about both those things. One I feel is more in my bailiwick is how we build it. Uh, the what we build, like where the market is going, you have to be a very active participant, but that's where you really need your field-facing teams to come back with all sorts of information and for it to be a big collaborative effort. But I think as the guy who's building the software, the rubber hits the road with you. Uh, you have to be the one that says, guys, we need a direction on this. Let's make a decision right now because my guys are going to go idle. I, I don't know what I'm going to do with them if we don't come up with a direction. And so you, sometimes you need to force that. Um, Dave, just thinking outside um, your current role and maybe from your experience, I'd just love to get your take of maybe what you see as current opportunities for Canadians or Canadian tech leaders who, who are listening today. Yeah, well, you know, I've thought this for a while now. It's never been easier to build software. Like, never. Uh, in term, and market software and sell software and have software be consumed, for instance. It's, it's literally never been easier. Uh, you know, in the old days, you had to, you know, buy expensive equipment and, and have it in a data center. And then you had to, uh, you know code and, and test locally and then you had to burn CDs and put them in boxes and shrink wrap it and somehow get it to some distributor who and then someone would have to buy that software. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Today uh, you know you, you put something out on, on a cloud service and there it is and uh, everything you, you can get paid everything you need is, is right there. It's never been easier to do that. And uh, so that's the good news. And we have to just take advantage of that. We have to play into that ecosystem. We have to uh, uh, take some risks, I think. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's a great time uh, to be in this because the, 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 the innovation is so easy. You know, the, the me mechanics of it is now so easy compared to what it used to be. But now we need all the good ideas. We need all the great ideas. We need, uh, we need a good balance of, of getting stuff to the market and then pivoting with the market. So, uh, so it's, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I, like I said, I wish, uh, I wish some of the uh, kids graduating from school would be a little bit more entrepreneurial than they yeah. are. You know, they, again, they can make so much money working for an established company, a uh, big established company, and then they, they do that and then they're miserable because it constrains them and it locks them in and the big company culture drives them nuts at the end of the day. So, you know, take a bit less, take a chance. So, Dave, I was looking at this um, uh, International Innovation Index. I was just trying to remind myself of where uh, Canada fits on this, and this is actually publicly available on Wikipedia. And it's one of them. It's not the only one. And, you know, as I look at this, Canada sits sixth out of 20. Um, not bad. That's in uh, large country ranking, and then there's a large and small country ranking, and we, we're number 14. But what, what would you say that we can all do as Canadian tech leaders, business leaders um, at large to take a leap forward from a country perspective? I, I thought what you just said was fascinating around um, kids that are graduating, uh, young professionals that are, that are entering the workforce uh, to take more maybe calculated risks and, and uh, 
and, and figure out how to kind of move the agenda forward. And, but I think we have to foster some of that. What's the one or two or three things that we can all do um, to really take that leap? Because to your point, it, it's easier than it's ever been. We have all the tools. We got so much stuff. How do we go faster? Yeah. So I think I think venture capital is actually important to this as well. Uh, while and, and you know that feeds in. You don't need a lot of money to get a software company started, but you do need some for sure, uh, absolutely. And so I think you know as we become older, as we become a bit more successful, like uh, back away from some of those supposedly safe investments and take a, a portion of your portfolio and put it into something risky. I think that's. Uh, that's a, you know some of us who, who who've been around who have money who have been successful. That's we. That's kind of I think we owe it back to the community, and we'll probably make money as mm-hmm. well doing that, or or gang together in a fund, you know, to to do that as well. If you can't, you know, do it in, entirely by yourself or on an angel basis, uh, but but seek out those those kind of uh, investments, and 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 so it's not only the. The young professionals that should take the risks. It's the older guys as well, the older people who've been around and who have the money backed up. Is yeah, take, take a bit of a risk with it. Uh, you know, you, you can't take it with you at the end of the day, and you can foster some real innovation inside of Canada. That's certainly one thing. Um, other things? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that that's great, and I think that that's uh, this conversation could definitely go on. But Dave, I'd like to thank you for joining us on. On the Innovation Drivers podcast, I mean, I'm always happy sitting down with you and learning. I'm always, always, I'm always picking up stuff. But again, thank you, uh, and uh, we look forward to seeing you grow and uh, blue blue cat grow as well. Yeah, thanks cool. a lot, Dave. Thank you, thank you very much. Thanks, Edwin. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Innovation Drivers podcast with Dave Penny. I really love this conversation as we touched upon leading technology organizations through innovation, whether it's a startup or a global organization. For more information about Dave Penny, Blue Cat, please do visit our show notes. And for more information of the CIO Association of Canada, please go to caocan.ca. Don't miss another episode, so if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe, rate, and comment on your favorite podcast player. I do look forward to another conversation. Thank you for listening. And as Hamza would say, go get your day.